Well, have you ever looked back at a moment in your life and thought, wow, that was God's timing. God's providential hand was all over that situation. Well, Esther chapter 6 is a chapter just like that, filled with humor, but filled with the unmistakable providence and timing of God, fighting on behalf of his people, putting all the puzzle pieces together, weaving together the tapestry. He does that in Esther 6. He does that in our lives as well, even when we can't see it. More on that today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. You know, it's been said that the early bird gets the worm, but sometimes the early bird gets humbled. Good morning, Haman, come on in. Good morning, perfect timing. This couldn't be more perfect, Haman might be thinking to himself. Oh, my trap is almost complete. But God is setting a trap for the man that set the trap. And that's the business that God is in. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble, 1 Peter 5, 5. So Haman came in and the king said to him, well, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And remember, Haman was probably just about to get it out. King, I have something I want to ask you. But before he could get to it, the king had his own agenda. And Haman just happened to be there and they happened to have some good morning coffee. Well, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, well, whom would the king desire to honor more than me? Oh, of course, nobody. Now, he had some good reasons to think this. On the one hand, he was an up-and-coming guy in the Persian court. The king had elevated him really to number two in all of Persia. So it wasn't that far-fetched, right? Haman comes in. He's bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. The king gives him the question. And Haman thought to himself, NIV, well, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? My career is on a great tra trajectory. This is reasonable. Pride, pride, pride. Have you ever thought something was about you and found out that it wasn't about you? You ever been humbled that way? You ever had a notion that something was going on and it was about you and then you found out, oops, it's not. You see, pride is an inordinate, self-consuming way of life. It's thinking that everything in, a lot in life is about you and what you do and how you look and what people think of you. Do you know people don't think of you as much as you think they think of you? Sometimes they think, why does that person look at me that way? And then you find out that person looks at everybody that way. It's not just about you. But that's what pride does to us. We get self-consumed and everything comes back to this one funnel. Me, myself, and I. And Haman thought to himself, well, there's nobody else that the king, I can't imagine anybody else that he would want to honor but me. And so... Haman said to the king, well, for the man whom the king desires to honor had to be quick on his feet since you asked. 
Haman's now completely distracted from his intended purpose. Have you noticed? He had come to the king early. He wanted to be the first one there because he wanted to kill Mordecai, but his pride has blinded him. One writer says, if ever there was a picture of pride going before a fall, Haman is it. And Haman begins to imagine now a royal parade because the king has asked him, well, what should we do for a man that I want to honor? And immediately Haman's thinking, a royal parade, that's what it'll be. I can begin to picture it right now. And so he's got it all in his mind. And I think if you notice how this goes, you will notice that Haman's ultimate idol is self-recognition. It's the thing he longs for the most. And by the way, he gets it from everybody except two people, the king of Persia and a man named Mordecai. He's got it already. He's got wealth. He's got power. He's got influence. He's got everything that someone could want in life. But the one thing he doesn't have is Mordecai doesn't bow to him. So he does some quick thinking on his feet and thinks, well, if the king commands that a man is to be honored in the streets of Persia, and it's a command from the king, then finally, oh, finally, Mordecai will have to bow to me because this will be an edict from the king himself. It will be the king, some, some herald announcing that the king desires to honor this man, so all must bow. And he's thinking to him, himself, finally my dreams will come true. Before he hangs on the gallows, he's going to bow to me. Oh, I'm going to have my cake and eat it too, and then later I'll have steak at Esther's house. This is glorious. Now Mordecai must bow. Do you see how consumed this man has become with this one thing he does not have? He's got so much other stuff, and by the way, his idol becomes his demise. Satan said to Jesus in Matthew 4, all the kingdoms of the world I'll give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Do you know that Lucifer or Satan was probably, many scholars believe, some sort of archangel? He had power and position, and he fell because of one word. What's the word? Pride. He wanted to elevate himself really above the stars of God. He wanted to be like the Most High. And you're going to watch now because Haman believes that this is about him. So he's going to start making some royal requests. And this is what he wants. Check it out. He says, now remember, he's thinking about himself. He, he thinks he's the man. He says, well, here's what you should do, king. Let them bring a royal robe, which the king has worn, and the horse on which the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown. Most believe that this is a some sort of... Uh, uh, crown on the horse or crest on the horse has been placed. So I want a headdress on the horse, a royal robe. Uh, we're going to have a royal horse. We're going to have a royal crest on the horse. And royal robes, maybe even the idea of a portent of things to come. Here's what I mean. Maybe in his mind he's thinking, you know, if something happens to you, I'm going to get myself fitted for the royal robes because I'm in line for the throne. I'm number two. Oh, let's see how they feel. Let's see how they fit. Let's imagine myself in the royal robes. I'll walk by a couple of mirrors and see how I look. 
And so he's making this, these suggestions to the king now. Uh, Jonathan took the royal robes off and gave them to David as a portent of things to come that David would be the king. One writer says there's some evidence from ancient historians that the Persian royal robes, as well as the king's bed and throne, were believed to have the power to impart the benefit of royalty in an almost magical way, close quote. I don't know if that's what Haman was thinking, but he was you know, planning it out, his royal parade, his dream day. He says, let the robe nine and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes, like somebody like Mordecai, and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback through the city square. Get ready for it, king. Have another sip of coffee. And proclaim before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Now, how many of you have seen the VeggieTale version of this? If you haven't, oh, come on, people. Parade him through the city and say to everybody, here is a real great guy that the king desires to honor. He's a really great guy. And, and have one of your noble princes say that over and over and over again through the city square. And all the while, Haman can't help but imagine that he's in the royal robe, on the royal steed, and being dressed and led about by a man named Mordecai. Perhaps every time that Mordecai says the words, this is a really great guy whom the king decides to honor, then Mordecai bows along with all the people. <laughs> this is all playing in his head. Excellent, excellent timing. I knew getting up early would pay off. Well, it's all set up now. Get your notable princes. Well, you know, I think we'll call this Haman's parade. I, I think it has a good ring to it. And the king said to Haman, well, take quickly the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate, and do not fall short in anything of all that you have said. It sounds good. Do it for Mordecai. <laughs> Can you imagine the facial expression of Heyman the hangman? What? It looks like someone just rained on my parade. And not only someone, that terrible Mordecai. He goes out into the city streets, Mordecai! Over the royal closet he goes. Now he has to do for the man that he hates what he thought was going to be done for him. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John 13, it would appear that he also washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. And as he washed each one's feet, there was a lot of tension in that room. People were jockeying for positions. Judas was being, becoming really a pawn of Satan. The disciples were arguing about which one of them was going to be the greatest. On and on it went. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Did you know God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther, but his fingerprints are all over it? The famous verse, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this, tells us that Mordecai sensed God moving in the darkest of times. This is a story about ordinary, everyday people taking a stand and becoming vessels through which God saved a nation. The story is filled with satire and seriousness, but it ends with celebration as God turns things around for good as only He can. Get your copy of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching of the entire book of Esther for such a time as this. Yours as a thank you for your financial gift of $30 or more to Walk in Truth. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Today, it's very important to know what you believe and why you believe it. Do you have an answer when your friends, family, or coworker asks you about your faith in Christ? The Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith. You can take online or on-campus classes on subjects like Christian apologetics, Christian doctrine, world religion, contemporary cults, and much more. Enrollment for the spring quarter is open now until April 12th. Visit thetruthacademy.com today to register. That's thetruthacademy.com. See you in class. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Who is sitting at the king's gate and do not fall short in anything of all that you have said. It sounds good. Do it for Mordecai. Can you imagine the facial expression of hey man, the hangman? What? It looks like someone just rained on my parade. And not only someone, that terrible Mordecai. He goes out into the city streets, Mordecai! Mordecai! Over the royal closet he goes. Now he has to do for the man that he hates what he thought was going to be done for him. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John 13, it would appear that he also washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. And as he washed each one's feet, there was a lot of tension in that room People were jockeying for positions. Judas was being, becoming really a pawn of Satan. The disciples were arguing about which one of them was going to be the greatest. On and on it went. There was all kinds of spiritual warfare and tension. And Jesus showed us what love is supposed to look like. See, we can imagine that all this stuff should be done for us. And then when it gets turned around... And all of a sudden, we have to do it for somebody else, but not just somebody else, somebody that we struggle with, somebody that we couldn't imagine that we would even give the time of day, let alone treat them with love. Jesus said, what credit is it to you if you love those who love you? What what different is that than anybody else? But if you love those who hate you, now that, is something. Excellent idea, Haman. 
I think that you've got this down. Why don't you go and do this for Mordecai? He's right over there by the king's gate, where he always is. Have you ever had your words come back to haunt you? <laughs> Have you ever began to pontificate or wax eloquent about a situation and then it got turned around on you? Well, that is the situation in which Haman finds himself. I'm sure his face fell to the ground and now he would have to do this for his arch enemy. So Haman, if you can imagine the picture, took the robe and the horse. He arrayed Mordecai. And by the way, Mordecai, to our knowledge at this point, still has the uh, sackcloth on, the garments of mourning. Earlier, Esther tried to give him regular clothing and he refused. So get this, Haman gets to take the garments of mourning off of Mordecai and put royal robes on him instead. Now get this, Esther put on the royal robes to go and uh, meet with the king, and she's Jewish. And now Mordecai has been dressed in royalty by his arch enemy who's trying to kill him. And maybe we can now apply Mordecai's words to himself. Perhaps you've come into royalty for such a time as this. Can you imagine being Mordecai? Haman comes over. This is the guy that's always mad that you won't bow to him. And he says, uh, <laughs> you mind coming with me for a few minutes? Well, what's up? Well, I, I've, I've got to dress you in... <laughs> Royal, royal robes and lead you around the city on a, the royal steed with the royal crest. <laughs> Mordecai, why? Well, uh, they overlooked something in the royal records. I don't want to talk about it. Click, click, click. Click, 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 click. This is the man, click, 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 that the king desires to honor. <laughs> the very thing he wanted all along from Mordecai, he now finds himself doing in front of Mordecai. Talk about a reversal. The religious leaders the people, we will not have this man to reign over us, they said of Jesus. They would not believe in him. He came to his own and his own would not receive him. They would not bow before him. But the Bible says to Jesus, every knee will bow. And some people that think they will never bow and they've been shaking their fist at Jesus Christ their whole lives one day will bow because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They will bow to the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And this picture, I think, you can consider at least a foretaste of that. And there is Haman, the man he wanted to kill, the man that bothered him the most because he would not bow. Now he's bowing before him. God is in the reversal business. And so he went through the city. He put the robe on Mordecai. He led him on horseback through the city square. 
And I don't know how long it went on, but it sounds like for a while, and proclaimed before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Thus it shall be done for the man that the king desires to honor. Talk about falling from your imagined high horse. Talk about eating crow. Talk about it raining on your parade, cats and dogs, or more like hail. You see, when you fight God, this is what happens. All day long, over and over, New Living Translation. This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. And then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. It's almost like Mordecai was unaffected by the whole thing. Maybe he was wondering the whole time, what's going on? But Haman hurried home, mourning with his head covered. See, the Jews were mourning after... Uh, Haman had gotten the king to sign that terrible edict. Now Haman's mourning with his head covered. He's in mourning. He's taking the walk of shame. He hurried home. He had to endure this whole thing. The Jews had been mourning because of Haman. Now he was mourning. A poetic, divine turnaround. He takes off Mordecai's sackcloth, but now, in essence, he has it on. Meanwhile, back on the ground, Haman is going wee, 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 all the way home. <laughs> or more like wah, 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 all the way home. Can you imagine coming, he comes to the door. Remember, it wasn't long ago that he was telling his friends and wife <clears throat> how powerful and popular he had become. Yeah, the king, you know, I, I, yeah, I've come, yeah, I'm the number two in Persia now. And oh yeah, I got invited over to dinner, just me, the king, and the queen. Oh yeah, oh, and I'm going back tomorrow night. Man, I'm popular. Man, things are going well. And Haman this time recounted to Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men, I don't know if that's like a, <laughs> a, a crack at these guys, and Zeresh, his wife, said to him, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin or seed, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Everybody, mark in your Bible, you will surely fall before him, because that is a divine turnaround. The man to whom he wanted him to bow now his wife and friends say, you're going to fall before him. That is an amazing turnaround. A funny thing happened after I built the gallows and arrived at the palace this morning. You won't believe it, honey. I had to lead this guy all over town. I'm filled with shame. And the wife and the counselors or friends say, if he's of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him. You will surely fall before him. Now, some of you are wondering, how much do these people know about Mordecai and the, the plot against the Jews? Is, is the king completely ignorant of what people uh, he was talking about when he asked the king to sign the edict? I don't know how much the king actually knows. It seems like they knew he was a Jew at the, in the previous chapter, but now... It's like they're saying, oh, if he's of Jewish origin and maybe it's because of the long battle between the, the Jews and the Amalekites and God always being on the side of the Jewish people and maybe they're seeing maybe the divine 
fingerprints or the writing on the wall and they're saying, oh, if this is how your day went, uh, oops, sorry, honey, bad advice. Uh, you shouldn't have built the gallows uh, because he's a Jew and God's fighting for him and you're going down. Well, when God is fighting for you, you're not gonna lose ultimately. If God is for you, who can be against you? You know, it is easy to feel sometimes like we're not winning in our walk. But you know, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If you're a Christian, just know that he is for you. God is for you. He's not against you. He loves you. He loved you so much that he sent his only son to die for you and to live in you and through you. So never forget who you are in the battles of life, in the difficulty that faces all of us as Christians. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Well, friend, I'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments or questions, prayer requests, anything that you might have, uh, maybe a word of encouragement for our team and saying, hey, man, the program has been a blessing that would be awesome. We'd love to hear from you. And we read everything that people send, and it's really appreciated. You can get the email or get the mailing address on our website to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you and know that you're listening and praying and partnering with us or how we can minister to you. You can do all of that at walkintruth.com. And of course, tune in on Monday for the conclusion of Esther chapter 6 called A Divine Backfire as we continue to see God's majestic hand move in the book of Esther and in our lives as well. Until then, God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.